Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, the word of the Lord declares this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you not more, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither uh, toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. This is the life-giving word of the Lord. Pastor and author Warren Wiersbe once wrote, It is often said that we we are continually being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries about tomorrow. You know, the truth is just simply this. Life is busy. And I don't mean a little bit. I mean, I mean a lot. Every sing, it seems like every single day our lives are filled with activities and our schedules are jam-packed with lots of things to do. How many of you feel like you know, life at times is just a blur when you kind of get through your day, right? right. You're, you're on the go from the time that you get up to the time you go to bed. There's more to be done in a day than can possibly be done and I think we all identify that, and I think we understand that life is busy. Whether you work a full-time job or you're a stay-at-home mom, which is like three full-time jobs, right? It doesn't matter what occupation you have, right? There's just too much to do in, it, in a single day. Even our kids are too busy. They go to school, then there's practice and games and, and, and homework and travel ball and gymnastics and youth group. And then you throw in there all the distractions of technology and social media, Right? And it's not just young people. It's not just middle-aged people either. Retired people are busy too. In fact, I know some retired people who have said to me that, you know, I'm so busy now that I'm retired, I had no idea how I even had time to have a full-time job before. Right? Life is just busy for all of us. And because of that, life can also be extremely stressful too. How am I going to get all this done? How am I going to save enough money to pay the bill? How am I going to get, you know, get to work? 
I hope they don't yell at me in practice today. I hope, you know, uh, I hope they don't find out they don't have it all together. Right? I hope, you know, they, they grow up to be good, good, you know, good people. I, I hope she knows how much she means to me. Right? I hope that they know that, that, that I'm here for them. I, I just wish I could spend more time with them. I just wish I had a little more money. I wish you know, they would just listen to me. I hope you know, that this mistake doesn't cost me my job. I hope you know, I can pass this class. I hope they don't make fun of me today. How am I going to tell my mom about this? How am I going to break the news to them about this? How am I going to let my kids know that I love them even though I never seem to have enough time to spend with them? How am I going to keep my marriage together? I hope I can get this done before time runs out. How many of you identify with, with any of that? Right. Life is just busy and it's stressful. And then to make things worse, the world out there is clamoring for your attention. Television, movies, YouTube, blogs, articles, new cars, new clothes, new activities, new toys, sports, teams, Super Bowls, Sports Illustrated, magazines, swimsuit editions, pornography, games, video games, Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, online games, role-playing games, community online games, gaming addictions, technology addictions, iPads, iPods, tablets, laptops, smartphones, smartwatches, smart TVs. We live in a world of sensory overload. Our sensors are continually bombarded with images of videos and, and sound effects and music. We live in a world where you have to, where you have to check your notifications, right? When Facebook tells you that you have a like or a comment on something, you have to check it, right? When, when Instagram gives you a notification, you have to look. When you hear that ding or that sound or whatever thing that you have for your notification, for your text message, you've got to stop what you're doing and open it up and check on it. Emails, text messages, instant messages, Facebook messages, Snapchat, all day long, you know, the, the, the social media and technology screaming at you, look at me, look at me, pay attention to me, look at me. Right? It's no wonder we feel so wiped out at times. No wonder we feel so overwhelmed. No wonder we feel so tired. It's no wonder we feel anxious and worried. It's no wonder we have so many phobias and anxieties. We wake up with a thousand things to do and we have 10,000 distractions uh, to get in the way of the things that we're trying to do. We're running from one place to the next, one, from one task to the next. We strive, we hustle, we work hard to get things done. And then on top of that, if that's not enough on its own, then there's the bad news. The government's being shut down. Another officer shot and killed somewhere else. Gas prices are going up. A loved one gets a cancer diagnosis. Another loved one died in a car accident. Right? Is it any wonder why people struggle with anxiety? It's like every day, like you find out that one of your children rejects God, the stock market drops a thousand points, right? Another country is threatening war against us. Someone stole your identity and hacked your bank account. You got to go and do all that mess. And on and on it goes every day, every hour, every moment. It's go, 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 do this, do that. Got to get to work. Got to feed the kids. Got to get the homework done. Got to get the oil changed. Got to get the laundry done. Got to do the dishes. Got to do my taxes. Does anyone wonder why so many people suffer from anxiety? Does anyone wonder why so many people struggle with depression? And why so many people spend so much of their life worrying about things? Does anyone wonder why so many people self-medicate with alcohol, you know, 
or drugs, whether they're illegal or prescription, or medicate themselves with technology or entertainment or hobbies or pornography or, or work. I mean, work is a way that a lot of people medicate their, their, themselves. Some people just think, if I just will stay busy enough, I don't have to think about this stuff. Life is busy and people are stressed, right? And that includes many Christians. That includes people who've made a profession of faith and genuinely have repented and, and received Christ by faith. People who have a relationship with the living God. But hear me on this. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's not supposed to be how it's supposed to be for those who trust in Christ. Christ has called us to live different lives in the rest of the world. A radically different life. We're not supposed to look like everyone else. We're not supposed to live like everyone else. Those who place their trust in Jesus, they're children of God. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Our lives are supposed to be visibly different. That's really the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's Christ's declaration as a new king of his new kingdom. And it's in the declaration that Jesus is saying is this is what life is supposed to be like. Our lives as Christ followers are to be radically different from everyone else in the world, which is exactly what we've been talking about in this series. The difference that Jesus calls us to is really so radical that it requires a radical transformation of our hearts. Jesus said, if we're to see the kingdom of heaven, then our righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the most righteous people, the best rule keepers in all the world. And that's only possible for us by God himself transforming our hearts by a miracle. Him removing the heart of stone that we have and putting in us a heart of flesh. Jesus didn't come to change our behavior. He came to change our hearts. He came to transform us inside out. And so this radically different life begins with a radical transformation of your heart, which is by grace through faith. But it continues through radical dependence on Christ because we cannot live the life that God is calling us to without him. Right? We desperately need Christ's love. We desperately need his strength. We need his abiding in us. We need his wisdom. We need his power. We need his guidance every moment. The only way that we're going to live the life that God is calling us to is by being radically dependent upon him, by depending on Jesus and trusting in him that he is changing us and transforming us by trusting him to finish the work that he has began in us. And this radically different life is lived out by a radically different love. That's how we shine the light of Christ and his kingdom for everyone else to see. We do that by the way that we love other people. We are to love without hesitation or reservation or limitation. We're to love completely and sacrificially. Even those that we struggle to love. Even those people that irritate us. Even those people that, that make us uncomfortable. We're to love other people, especially the believers in our lives, with a radical Christ-like kind of love. And so you can see the life that Christ is calling us to is unlike anything else on the earth. It requires radical transformation of our heart, a radical dependence upon Christ, and a radically different love. And so your life as a Christ follower in every aspect should look very different than the world around you. But as we said, so many Christians live 
in, in many respects, indistinguishable from their non-Christian friends, right? Because they're in a hurry, just like everybody else. They are overworked, just like everybody else. They are stressed out, like everybody else. They're self-medicating, just like everyone else. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Jesus himself said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us a different kind of life, a real life, a true spiritual life, a life that's supposed to be abundant, a full life. Now understand, when I say abundant life, I am not talking about material abundance. Because Jesus did not come to make you rich. Jesus did not come to save you so you can have a new Porsche. Right? Jesus didn't come here to save you so you can live a life of all your dreams where they all come true and you never experience any trouble or pain. I am not talking about the prosperity gospel when I say abundant life. I despise with all my heart the prosperity gospel. And the reason why I despise it is because there is no hope in it. It's a distraction. There is no hope at all in the prosperity gospel. In fact, the prosperity gospel is, is really the root of the problem for a lot of Christians. You see, they, they come to God seeking the gifts, but not the giver of the gifts. They come to God seeking the blessings, but not the giver of the blessings. In fact, John Piper puts it this way, if heaven held everything that you could ever desire, all the love and all the blessings and all the fun and all the happiness you could ever want and all your favorite people are there and you could live there without pain and without tears and suffering and heaven had all of that, every bit of that except Christ himself, would you be satisfied? If heaven had everything you could ever want but not Christ, would you be satisfied? And if, you answer the, if your answer is yes, yes, I would go there. I'd be satisfied there in a heaven where my pleasures are fulfilled but, but, but empty of Christ. If you could say yes to that, then you probably don't even know Christ. I want you to think about this for a minute. If you could be satisfied in a heaven that did not have Christ in it, you probably don't know him. Because if you knew Christ, the one who radically transformed your heart, the one who radically that you have to depend on for your transformation and salvation, the one whose love for you is so radical that he suffered and he died in your place so you could be reconciled back to God and have a relationship with him so you could get to heaven. If you knew that Christ, you would want him only. You would want him more than anything else in the universe. You would want him more than you would want anything else that you could ever possibly imagine. And you would understand that heaven is completely pointless without him. Because Christ, not stuff, not pleasures, not possessions, but Christ is the source of abundance. He is the abundant life. He's the one that fills your life with purpose. He's the one who can fill your life with real, lasting, unending joy. He's the one that gives you real hope. He's the one that gives your life the ultimate meaning. You can have Christ. When you have Christ, you have everything, regardless of how little you have in this life. But when you don't have Christ, ultimately you have nothing, regardless of how much you have in this life. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, keep back nothing. 
Nothing that you have not given away will, be, will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Christ is the abundant life. Christ is the full expression of life. He came to give us life and life abundance. Man, but that is not how so many of us are living. Our lives do not look radically different from the rest of the world because, as we said, we are so hurried and so stressed and so worried and so anxious and so freaked out like the rest of the world. Our lives are so hectic and and unsatisfying and even depressing as the rest of the world. Why? Well, the reason is very simple. Now, before I get into the reason why it's very simple, I also want to, like, have a little asterisk. Okay? And the asterisk is this. The point that we're going to make is about priorities. But the also the point I want to make too is that there are some people who, who suffer uh, some of these issues and it's beyond their ability to control. And sometimes people need help. They need medical help. And so with that, I want everyone to know that that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that we as Americans have a tendency to become inwardly focused and stressed out over things that really, in the long run, aren't that important. You see, the reason why we get like this is because we don't put first things first. We don't keep our priorities straight. We don't stay focused where we need to be focused. We let life and the world And all of these attractions and distractions get in the way. We allow the diversions of this life to draw our attention away from where it's supposed to be. We get caught up into secondary things. We spend our lives chasing, chasing money, chasing acceptance, chasing power, chasing a high, chasing a happiness, chasing after fulfillment. We want the abundant life, but we keep chasing after it in the wrong way. And understand, this isn't a new problem. This isn't unique to the 21st century. This is something people have been dealing with ever since Adam and Eve left the garden. In fact, it's kind of the reason why they were kicked out of the garden. They got their priorities out of whack. They started pursuing their own program for happiness. They started looking for fulfillment in their lives outside of God. And it cost them everything. And since that time, people have been dealing with the same issues. People have been living lives of worry and stress and anxiety and frustration for thousands of years. And Jesus knew this was going to be an issue. And so he addressed it on the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us. It's not supposed to be this way. Life in the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be be different. And so he tells us how we can escape this life of futility and frustration. He tells us how we can embrace the abundant life that he has for us. And he begins in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I want you to understand something. 
There's nothing wrong with saving a little money. There's nothing wrong with putting some resources aside for a rainy day. There's nothing wrong with, with you having saved some money for retirement. Right? Because the, the fact of the matter, the Bible actually encourages people to be prepared. The Bible encourages us to, to be ready for times of, of uh, uh, tough times and that we're not to be a burden. We're, we're, that we're encouraged to be prepared enough to not be a burden on our families, not to be a burden on our communities, and not to be a burden on our churches. God doesn't want us to be dependent upon everyone else. The Bible encourages people to be financially self-reliant to a certain extent. So there's nothing wrong with being a good steward of the resources that God has entrusted to us. There's nothing wrong with us setting aside a little for a rainy day. That's not the issue that Jesus is addressing here. Jesus is addressing an issue where your heart is. Because notice what he says next. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, is darkness. How great the darkness. Now, I'll admit that this metaphor is kind of confusing because there's a lot of imagery that gets mixed up together. And especially in, in our English culture, there's just some of this stuff that doesn't quite make sense. But there actually is a point to this, right? If you get past the healthy and sick eye and darkness and light, your eyes, what, what, what Jesus is saying, is really kind of like a window to your soul, right? It, it really kind of tells who you are with respect to how you perceive the world around you is a direct reflection of who you are on the inside is really kind of the essence of that. And so if your eyes can see the world around you, where you can see an opportunity to love God and to love other people and and to find opportunities to share the kingdom of heaven and and, and, in the things that you pursue, that you can keep God first, right? By using your resources in a way that the kingdom is being pressed forward, you know, and that you're laying treasures in heaven up, then your heart is, is full of light, regardless of how much money you have. Right? That's the idea. It reflects who you are on the inside. But if on the other hand, your eyes are full of covetousness, because everywhere you look, you see stuff that you want. It's all about what you want. And what you can see is, is the things that satisfy you. And you can see the power that you can have because of those resources. And you can see the security that you can have by hoarding and storing things up. And by working you know, yourself to death by you know trying to make more money so you can have more stuff for you and it's all about you and your pleasure then the light in you is darkness the reason for that is your priorities are completely out of whack right because your heart isn't right your priorities are on you is really what what Jesus is driving at here which means you're living for the wrong master that's what Jesus says. He goes, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or you will love the other or you will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. See, the root of the issue isn't money. The root of the issue isn't stuff or savings account. The root of the issue is who do you live for? Do you live for you or do you live for God? Do you live for the kingdom or do you live for your kingdom? And, and you can tell who you live for by the way that you use your resources. And I'm not just talking about money, but everything, time, talent, stuff. 
And the way that you use all those things, does it, does it say that you're living for you or living for God? And believe me, I'm not judging here. Right? I'm just asking you, as, as fellow believers, is to examine yourself. Look at your own heart. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? How much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend encouraging and loving other people who are believers? How much time do you spend actually like trying to reach the lost? How much time do you spend thinking and meditating on the Scriptures? And then how much money have you spent to further the kingdom? How much of your resources have you used to, to help someone in desperate need so that way the, they can see the light of Christ? Does, does the way that you use your time, your talent, your resources say that you live for God? Or do they say, I live for me? Does God get the first fruits of your life or does God get the leftovers, whatever they might be? That's the issue that Jesus is talking about. Who are you really living for? Who are you, who's really your master? Are you submitted to the king and his kingdom? Or are you submitted to your own kingdom? Is it God or is it you? Now you might say, well, Sherman, you just don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know what kind of struggles I have. You don't know how hard things are for me right now. You don't know how limited my resources are. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of talent. And I certainly don't have a lot of money or stuff. I have very little. And what I have, I have to have to get by. Well, you know, the thing is that Jesus, when he gave this Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about treasure and money, so many people, because, we, because of the culture we come from, we think that Jesus is talking to primarily rich people, that Jesus is talking to people who had a lot of money. But that is just simply not the truth. This was a Sermon on the Mount where there was a large crowd. And yes, there were probably some people there that might have had some money. There might have been some people who were rich. But the vast majority of the people that he was talking to was extremely, extremely poor, horribly poor, unimaginably poor. Our poor can't even imagine how poor. We're talking about people who lived in dark, tiny one-room homes. Homes that smelled like smoke and sweat and urine and last night's dinner. Right? Homes all pushed together in tiny little neighborhoods, densely populated neighborhoods. Homes that lined up dirty streets that were muddy. Streets that had trash in them and debris in them. And human and animal waste and sometimes, sometimes dead bodies. And those people lived in a day where it was a day-to-day existence, right? They were competing every day to stay alive. I mean, we know what it means to live paycheck to paycheck, right? We, we all know, even those of us, even those of us who, who at times make a little more than we need, we still live paycheck to paycheck. They lived day to day, meal to meal, meaning that every day they had to figure out how to get enough food to eat, Everything they had to figure out how to provide for their family's needs, immediate needs. There were, there were no cabinets full of food. There were no refrigerators, right? Dying of starvation was a very real risk if you didn't take care of business the right way. And most people just had barely enough to scrape by. And these people Jesus is talking to, He's talking to them when he says, do not store up treasure on the earth and do not store up treasure. I mean, do not store up treasure on the earth, but store up treasure in heaven. Because the temptation is, 
is to spend all of your time and all of your energy trying to figure out how to get ahead. Their last meal, really for most of them, provided enough energy for them to go out to find the next meal. These are the people Jesus is talking to when he says, you cannot serve both God and money. Because the temptation is if you could get a little more money. If, if, if I had just a little more money, then I wouldn't have to work so hard. If I had a little bit more money, then things would be okay. If I had a little more money, I wouldn't be so stressed out and so worried. If I had a little more money, all my problems would go away. Sound familiar? The temptation was to put their trust and their hope into their resources. To seek more resources instead of God. That's why Jesus says, therefore... In light of the fact that I just told you not to let money be your master, and in light of the fact I just told you to store up treasure in heaven and not on earth, in light of all of that, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. To the very poorest of poor people, Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about your basic needs to survive. Don't stress out. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. To which, right, people could easily say, Jesus, that's easy for you to say. But Jesus says, is not life more than food? Is not your body more than clothing? Your life is so much more important than simply feeding yourself and clothing yourself. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. And you do not, and are you not of more value than they? You were created in the very image of the living God. Are you not more important than the birds that God takes care of? And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to your lifespan? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, yet they grow they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. And there lies the issue. The reason why so many of us can't seem to live this radically different life. The reason why people are so worried about food and clothing and their basic needs, the reason why people stress out about issues of life is because they're acting just like the rest of the world. We're acting like people who have no faith. Jesus says the reason why you worry about those things and the reason why you you you, you stress out about those things is because you have little Faith. You have little faith in God, the God that feeds the birds. You have faith in the God who can extend or shorten your life. You have little faith in the God who provides even the grass with its own beautiful clothing. The reason why you're so worried about those things, the reason why you're so stressed out about those things is because you lack faith that God has the ability to take care of you. That's the issue. Who is the king of your kingdom? God or you? Who is the one you trust to take care of you? God or you? 
The issue is lack of faith. And then he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. You see, life in the kingdom is meant to be radically different. Because you stressing out on your basic needs and worrying about the things that are going on you know, around you, and, and worrying about you know, working yourself to the bones so you can have a little extra is, is you're just like the rest of the world then. Even people who don't know God, even people who've never even thought about putting their trust in God, even people who completely reject God do those things. They do all those things. Even people who have no relationship with God stress out about these kinds of things. But God, your heavenly Father, the one who sent his own son to die on the cross, the one who knows you by name, who knows every hair on your head, except me, right? The one who knows who you are, knows all of your intimate needs. That God. Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Paul also says in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Jesus Christ. The reason why we worry, the reason why we stress, the reason why we allow these anxieties to take over us is because somewhere in us, we forget that God is sovereign and in control. We forget that God is the one who is ultimately our provider anyway. And worse, we forget that God is trustworthy. We forget that he can keep his promises. We forget that we can trust him. We forget that God knows what we need even before we ask. But most importantly, we forget that God demonstrated his love for us by crushing his own son. Our biggest problem is we forget about the gospel. That's the heart of the issue right there is we forget about the gospel. Our worry and stress and anxiety and need to figure it all out is really a form of idolatry. Hear me on this. Because it takes your eyes off of God and puts your eyes onto something else. It takes your trust off of God and causes you to try to trust in something else. We try to trust in ourselves. We try to trust in our money. We try to trust in our jobs. We try to trust in the government. We try to trust in other people. Our worry and stress and anxiety is akin to idolatry because it blinds us to the truth of the gospel. The truth that we are all, every one of us, born sinners, depraved. We're born children of wrath. We are all sinners, every one of us, without exception. And we know it. We've all done things that we know that we shouldn't have done. Horrible things. We've all fallen short. We all continue to this day still fall short of God's standard for us. We fall short of our own standards that we have for ourselves. And we know that we do. And because of that, because we're sinners, we deserve God's divine judgment. We don't deserve for God to take care of us. Understand that we, God owes us nothing. We don't deserve for him to take care of us. We don't deserve for him to provide for us. We deserve for God to judge us. We deserve for God to sentence us, kill us, and cast us into hell. That's what we deserve. We really deserve God to eradicate us. 
That's what we've earned. But that's not what God does. By His grace, He lets us live. Even people who reject Him, He gives them life. By grace, He lavishes all kinds of gifts upon everyone. Especially us, we were born in a free, prosperous country. You turn on the tap and there's clean water like right now. Right? You go home, there's, there's refrigerator in the food. I mean, food in the refrigerator. Right? We live in a prosperous country and by grace, he lets us have families. And we have friendships. And by his grace, we experience sunshine. By his grace, he gives us food to eat and warm clothes to wear. By his grace, we can see with our eyes. By grace, we have the gift of hearing. By grace, we experience the warmth of touch. By his grace, we have more gifts than we could possibly count. And certainly more than we could ever possibly deserve. And that's just the common grace that he gives to everyone. You understand that, right? That's the gifts he gives to everyone. That's just the the freebies. But then by his Divine grace, he makes you new again, born again. You were once spiritually dead and now you're spiritually alive. Your heart of stone has been removed out of you and now you've been given a heart of flesh. By grace, your sins have been forgiven you because God, by his grace for you, he sent his precious holy son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect life that you could not live, to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law that you could not fulfill. And God, by his grace and his sovereign plan, <clears throat> sent his son to die so he could bear your sin. But you've got to hear this next part. Not just that. He didn't just die for your sin. Okay? Jesus went to the cross so that God could pour out his holy, righteous wrath upon Jesus instead of you. He poured out the fullness of his wrath and his anger that you deserved upon his son who didn't deserve it so that you can be reconciled to God himself. And in light of that, in light of all that, you're going to worry yourself sick because you didn't have enough to make your car payment this month. In light of all of that, you're going to stress because someone's saying something nasty about you on Facebook. You're going to worry about things that are beyond your control anyway to the point you can't sleep. You're going to keep hoarding every nickel so you can make sure that you spend all your golden years walking on the beach collecting seashells instead of investing in the work of the kingdom of God. You're going to exhaust yourself working trying to to make people approve of you. God crushed his own son for you. How will he not also take care of you? What more does he need to prove that you will trust him? What more does he need to do for you to stop trying to control the things you can't control anyway and turn to him and say, Lord, I trust you. What more does he need to do for him to be the first priority in your life? You're called to live a radically different life. You're called to live a life of hope and deep faith and trust in God who created all things. We are to walk and live confidently knowing that God is in control. We're to live a life of worship, trusting God will meet every need, whether he gives or takes away. We need to trust that every detail works for her good as he promised. Even our suffering. We're to live radically different lives, lives of hope, not of fear, of radical faith, not of anxiety. 
Lives where we live confidently, knowing that God is in control and at work and around us and in us and through us. Lives that engender hope in others around us because they can see the light in us. They can turn to us and see, you have something I need desperately. Now you might ask, well then how can I live that way? How do I get over my fear and my anxiety and worry? How do I live this radically different life? Well, Jesus tells us how. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let me read that again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you hear the promise in that? There's a promise from God in that. The promise is that all you need, God will provide you. All that you need to survive, all that you need to overcome, all that you need to endure, the difficulties that this life throws your way, all of that, all that you need to live as citizens in kingdom of heaven, God will faithfully provide you. It's a promise. Your part is to stop worrying and stop stressing and start trusting And stop trusting in you and trusting in money and trusting in your career and trusting in your savings account and trusting in your ability to fix things and and stop trusting in your ability to predict the future. Your job is to stop all of that and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Well, actually, this this is really practical stuff here. It's very practical stuff if you get clear on it. Jesus says, seek. The word seek here. When he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, the word in the Greek actually gives this idea that whatever you're seeking for, what's being sought after is actually near, that you can actually find it. It's findable, right? That's just kind of the nature of the tense of the word. What you're seeking for is not something elusive. It's not something that's hidden or lost. You're seeking for something that's easy to find and it's close at hand is really the idea behind the word. The kingdom of God... And his righteousness is close at hand. It is near to you. It is attainable. That's the idea. Seek them because you can have them is really kind of the point. Then the word first, seek first, is another important idea because the word first means both first in order, like first, second, and third, and then first in priority, right? And so when when he says seek first, he's saying that the first thing you need to do is to seek God and his righteousness Before you do anything else, before you trust anything else, before you think about anything else, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. But it also is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness in a continual priority over everything else. It is the number one priority in your life. It's not like you seek first the kingdom of God and then when you're done with that, then you go seek somewhere else. It's the idea of you continually seeking. You're continually looking. The idea is that you're continually fixing your eyes and your attention on the kingdom. You see, living this radically different life in the kingdom is you have your hearts and your minds continually focused on God. That is the point. It's to continue to have your thoughts and minds set on Jesus. And the phrase kingdom of God here certainly refers to kingdom life But the idea is actually more foundational than that. The kingdom of God refers to salvation. And so what Jesus is saying is keep your eyes fixed on your salvation. Keep your eyes fixed on the gospel. Always 
Be seeking the gospel. Always be looking at the gospel. Always be reminding yourself of the gospel. Always keep your heart and your mind fixed on the truth and the beauty of the gospel. Always be mindful of your salvation. And then the expression, his righteousness, is a really important uh, word because it refers to the righteousness of God. This isn't your righteousness. This is his righteousness. In fact, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you won't even get in the kingdom. Well, how, do, how does your righteous ex- righteousness exceed the Pharisees? Well, it exceeds them by trusting in God to give you his righteousness and to change your heart. Again, it's about the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, 16 through 17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He further says in Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see, Jesus is saying that if you seek first, if you make priority to keep your eyes on the truth of the gospel, if you pursue the righteousness of God, the righteousness that justifies, the righteousness of God that sanctifies you, if you will pursue God's righteousness through faith, you can have it. If you will keep your eyes fixed on God first, all these other things will be taken care of for you. All of your worries will be taken care of. Keep your eyes on your salvation. Keep your eyes on God's righteousness through faith, trusting in God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything else, everything else is taken care of. You see, the issue is not that we have a busy life. The issue is not that life is stressful or chaotic. The issue is an issue of our priorities. We need to get our priorities straight. We need to live for God first. We need to set him over all other things. He needs to be the first priority in our lives. And then what we need to do is order the rest of our lives after that. Now you might ask, how do I do that? Well, I've thought a lot about that. And I have the the, the typical thing that I always tell people, be in the word, you know, be in prayer. But actually... One of my favorite preachers, his name is Paul Washer. I think he has a really good answer to this question, and I'd like to just share that with you. As I travel around the world, one of of the things that uh, people most talk about is how busy they are. It's as though we don't have 24 hours anymore in the day. Everyone is busy. Everyone is tired at the end of the day. We're all like a bunch of hamsters running in a wheel. We seem to not be getting anywhere, but we're all out of breath. Um, this has a tremendous and terrible impact on our Christian life. There was a secular psychiatrist, I forget his name, And uh, I don't often quote secular psychiatrists, but he said something like this. 
There is a saying in English that hurry is of the devil. And he said, no, that's not true. Hurry is the devil. And what he was trying to say was simply that it's one of the things that is most doing damage to the individual, our society, our culture. And I would submit to you it's doing a great deal of damage to the church. There are so many things calling for our attention. And now that we have this explosion of the Internet with Twitter and Facebook and websites and such an overload of information, we have less time than ever. Less time than ever. And because people, now don't be offended, but because people are very egocentric and everyone wants to be a movie star, Everyone now has their own Facebook page and their own, their own Twitter account and they're announcing to the world everything that they're doing, everything they are and everything they believe. Now some of that I suppose could be good, but a lot of it's just a waste of time. Now, the question is, since everyone is so busy, what can we do to affect this problem? Well, first of all, we need to realize something that we are not called by God to do everything. We are called by God to do His will. So, if we're going to order our life, we must know what God's will is, and that is found in the Scriptures. You know, it seems like every question someone has, the answer is always this. Go back into the Scriptures, read the Word, and find out what He has to say. But the way I handle all of this, because it also affects me, is I set priorities. Hopefully they're not my priorities, but they're God's priority. What is my number one priority every day? Number one priority. I would have to say it is meeting with God. Spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer. Because it impacts my entire life. If I don't do it, I'm disobedient. And if I don't do it, I'm no good to anyone. You know, Martin Luther said... He said one time, he goes, I am so busy today that if I do not pray three hours, I'm never going to get everything done. Now, you see how different his attitude was? We say, we're so busy today, we can't pray. He said he was so busy, he had to pray so that God would give him help and order his day and help him to get everything done. So the first thing is meeting with God in his word and in prayer. The next thing that is important, that is a priority, are the relationships that God has given me. My highest relationship on this planet is with a woman, my wife. I must make sure that I'm fulfilling my duties, relational duties, friendship, communication with my wife. After that, my greatest and most important task as a father, and especially since we homeschool, is to pour my life into my children. Now, obviously, I also have to work. I'm in a, I work in a mission. I have a job that requires, at a minimum, eight hours a day. And usually it's sometimes twice that. And so when I go to work, I work hard. I don't, I don't play around. I don't get in a lot of conversations. I work. Why? In order to get my job done so I can get back to other priorities, which are always relational. My relationship with God my relationship with my family, my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and then my relationship with people who need Jesus Christ. 
I think it will really help most people if they would put meeting with God first and then put their relationships, the relationships that God has given them, following that. Then, of course, their work that they must do in order to sustain themselves and their family. And if there's no time left, then, then instead of cutting out time with God, cut out your Facebook, cut out your Twitter account, cut out being on the web all the time, or on the telephone all the time, or texting all the time. Those things simply are not necessary. They simply are not. Here's something that I would like you to think about. God created us for a relationship, a relationship with Him, but also horizontal relationships, relationships with others. On the day that I am about to die and I'm laying on my deathbed, I will have many regrets if I have neglected the relationships that God has given me, especially with family brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't think I'm going to be very, very sad if I was not able to do Twitter or was not able to maintain a Facebook page. Get your priorities together and you'll not have much problem with time. It is often said we are continually being crucified between two thieves, the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. Let us prioritize our lives upon the Lord and change that pattern in our lives to where we can live the radically different lives that God's calling us to. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And I declare right now with my heart that you're enough. You are enough to satisfy me, to sustain me. You're enough, Lord, to give me joy and hope. You are enough, Lord God, for all my needs. And in addition to that, then you have blessed me with a wonderful family, a beautiful wife who loves me. In addition to that, you have blessed me to live in a prosperous country. In addition to that, you have blessed me with a wonderful church family of people who love me and whom I love very deeply. Father, I just pray that I would continue today to seek you first. Your kingdom above all things. That, that, that when I wake up in the morning, I would declare with my mouth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That I would declare with my heart, Lord, that you are the greatest asset in my entire life. And that I would begin my day with my thoughts fixed upon you. And I would continue all the day long with my heart set upon you. Mindful every moment of the gospel that you have poured into my life. Mindful that when I find a defeat in my life, that I've already won the battle anyway. That, that my greatest problem has already been solved. That Jesus died to save me. Lord, let us all take this gospel truth to heart. Let the gospel be the thing that informs our daily life. Let the gospel be the thing that, that informs our decisions. Let the gospel be the thing, Lord, that helps us to parent and to do our jobs and to be good neighbors. Let the gospel be the very center fixture of our minds always. And that when worry creeps in, we say, in the name of Jesus, be gone. I am a blessed child of the King. Not because he's going to lavish material things upon me, but he has already saved me. And I am 
forever victorious because of the blood of the Lamb. I pray, Lord God, that all of us would take that to heart and all of us would walk in that, Lord, and that we would dare to live these radically different lives out in the world around us so that people would hear the message of Jesus and see in us something that they desperately need and that we would be able to tell them and they would be saved. Lord, let your church go out and storm the gates of hell to rescue the lost and to redeem this culture and our community. Father, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.